Morning on a Monday. How's everybody doing? Mike Steely, Parker Thune, Steelman and Thune at noon here on the uh, Home of Sooner Fans, the Ref Radio Network. And again, uh, we are happy that you're with us here on a Monday. We want to thank our friend Tim Lasher at Lasher Home Comfort Systems for bringing you our number one here on the program for this Monday. Hope you had a good weekend. The snow finally cleared out of here. We're back to normalcy uh, here on a Monday, which is good. But, uh, Parker, things are not looking good for the Sooner basketball team. They're in trouble. Oh, boy, Mike. Oh, boy. This is what we all said couldn't happen, right? And this is, all, this is what we all said couldn't happen, except the issue is it's happened repeatedly, which is you knew in the Big 12 the Sooners were going to have to take care of business against the teams that they should beat. They haven't been doing that thus far in January and February. Nope. Getting swept by TCU, first loss ever in the Lloyd Noble Center to the Horn Frogs. Then they go to Gallagher Arena. I understand that's a tough place to play, but man, against a downtrodden Cowboys team, that's a win you gotta have. And they didn't get it done. And you know what's surprising to me, honestly? In fact, shocking right now, Mike, is the fact that old Joe Lenardi. Mr. Bracketology himself still has Oklahoma solidly they, in the 68 team field. So, hey, they're hanging you know in what? there with Joe Lenardi, but they're not going to be. They're on the edge of the cliff, though, just hanging off the edge of the cliff, I think, right now. And again, uh, after losing to the Cowboys in Bedlam 64 55 on Saturday, they get uh, Texas Tech coming up Wednesday night, 8 o'clock on ESPNU. And then Saturday, they'll play in Lawrence at the Fog against Kansas. And Kansas just dominated Baylor, winning 83 59 over the weekend. So another tough week, and like I said, the Big 12 is a gauntlet, man. And you look at what happened Saturday, turnovers again to start the second half. They can't take care of the basketball. They fixed the rebounding issue, and again, they can't take care of the basketball enough or well enough. That gave the Cowboys momentum uh, in the second half, and Oklahoma State goes on to win by nine. Tanner Groves had a good game, 23 points, nine rebounds. Elijah Harkless came back. 15 points, six boards, solid showing, played well. Nobody else more than five points. Jordan Goldwire, 2 of 11. Mo Gibson, 0 of 6. Jalen Hill, 0 of 3. Uh, uh, Jacob Groves, 1 of 4. They they couldn't get anybody else to score the basketball between, between uh, all of the other guys besides Tanner Groves and Elijah Harkless. Well, and you know, the complaint we've had all season about this team, Mike, is, well, there's no one guy that's jumping off the score sheet and really commandeering the scoring on the offensive end for Oklahoma. No one guy taking over offensively. Then the complaint on Saturday was, well, hey, Tanner Grove scored plenty. Nobody else could do anything. And sure, you get Elijah Harkless with 15, but like you said, when you have two guys with more than five points in a basketball game, generally that's not a game you're going to win. No, you're right, and uh, again, the Sooners, again, you can't fault their effort. I think they play hard. They just don't have enough talent. Bottom line, and again, uh, their margin of error is so slim. If you turn it over as many times they did as they did, particularly what uh, six out of seven possessions early in the second half, that's going to get you beat on the road. Oklahoma State, again, this is not a great Oklahoma State team, but uh, they're deeper than Oklahoma, and that was huge in the game over the weekend as well. And then you get somebody like Cisse, Musa Cisse, I thought played really well. And uh, the Sooners, again, they, they just, uh, you know, it's not enough to play hard in a league that is this good and this deep. You've got you've to find more than two guys who can score the basketball. 
And, uh, you know, it's just it's just tough in this league. And it, again, this week with Tech, Wednesday night at home, opportunity there. But Tech's playing very well. They won at West Virginia over the weekend. I know Shannon's injured, but still, that's a well-coached team playing very well. And then Saturday in the fog, I mean, we know what that's yeah. all about. There might be two more losses coming this week for the Sooners. But, look, here's the deal. When you talk about the ebb and flow of this 2021-22 season for Oklahoma on the hardwood, you know, we just talked about the fact that for most of the season, we were citing not having one guy being a primary scorer, being an elite scorer, as something that was holding this team back. Then, on Saturday, like I said, you had one guy scoring and nobody else could do anything. So, you're kind of getting a little bit of a Jekyll and Hyde act in that from that perspective. What is the one common denominator this entire season, though, Mike? What has never changed about this basketball team? What, taking care of the ball? They do, they turn the basketball yeah, yeah, over. Yeah, absolutely. They Turnovers do. and careless basketball continue to kill this team night in and night out. That is the common denominator. That is the one thing that you can point to and say that has not changed. And it needs to change. No doubt about it. The Sooners had 17 turnovers in the game on Saturday, and they had 11 of those in the second half. I, I thought they started out playing great, man. Tanner Groves was making his shot. The Sooners were defending, doing everything well. And, again, they have a stretch where they turn the ball over too much. All of a sudden, that crowd, that energized uh, building uh, in Stillwater takes hold, and uh, you're in trouble. And the Sooners, again, lose it to go to 13-10 and 10 overall, 3-7 and seven in the league. I, I think Porter Moser's an excellent hire, but uh, you are playing, like I said, if you're a golfer, man, you're playing almost, uh, if it's not a U.S. Open course every week, it's a really difficult course in the Big 12. There just aren't many let-ups, if any at all. And certainly Wednesday night is going to be very difficult for the Sooners at home against Texas Tech, 8 o'clock on ESPNU. Let's hear from Porter Moser after the game. This is what he told T. Rowe in the postgame as the Sooners fell at Oklahoma State. I thought we played really hard. I thought we competed. I thought a big thing we wanted to do coming off the TCU is on the glass. I thought we fought and bought, boxed out uh, as good as we've done. Um, they only had five offensive rebounds and were the, one of the top. We just offensively um, get stymied if, if a couple guys are not scoring. And uh, it's our depth. I mean, their depth, their bench outscored us plus 16, they were 26 to 10. Their depth. They, came, they, they were coming in the second wave of guys and, and had 26 points off their bench. We, we really had some turnovers and some, some, tough, some tough times on the floor when we got deep into our bench. It was, it was you know, some of our offensive firepower uh, as the game goes on. You know, we, I thought we opened it with a lot of purpose in the first half, and just as the game went on, you know, um, you know missing shots and then turnovers. There you go. That explains it again. And uh, I, I think that Porter Moser is, is staying as upbeat as he possibly can. You can tell he's frustrated because uh, they, they just – once they fix one problem, they, they always seem to have the, the other problem that continually haunts them. And that, again, is not being able to take care of the basketball. Remember how badly they were out-rebounded by TCU, you know, in that home loss. Well, they fixed the rebounding problem, and I thought they did, as Porter Moser said, a good job on the boards in this game. But, again, it was the turnovers, uh, those that came in bunches, of course, early in the second half also hurt Oklahoma. So the bottom line is this. The Sooner basketball team is going to need a miracle to get to the NCAA tournament because that schedule, just there are no let-ups. There just aren't any. Let's take, the, let's take a look right now, Mike, at the schedule the rest of the way. 
So this week you have Texas Tech, and then you go to the Fog. Let's say they lose both of those games, and they are sitting at thirteen and twelve, and three and nine in the league. Let's take a look at their schedule the rest of the way. Beyond that, so like I said, we'll we'll give them we'll say losses against Tech and Kansas. Those are those are both top ten basketball programs. Those are games that the, the other team is certainly expecting to win, right. no doubt. Then you get Texas at home. You got to go to Hilton to play Iowa State. You go to Lubbock. You get Oklahoma State at home. You get West Virginia at home. And then you travel to Bramlage Coliseum, where the Sooners haven't won in close to a decade, I don't think. And K State just won at TCU over the weekend, right? So, again, here's the I think the fortunate thing, I think the silver lining in all this is that you never know what you're going to get in the Big 12. Right, and the Sooners have just as good a chance of winning on any given night as anybody else in this conference. But they got to start winning, Mike. You got to close. They've got to start winning basketball games because Glenn, Glenn, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, A always B B C closing, always be closing. You're not going to close every game if they're not closing any. And, and as you mentioned the uh, the schedule, Parker, if you you beat Texas at home, you beat Oklahoma State at home, you beat West Virginia at home, you're at three, uh, three more wins, which gets you to six. And then if you can win that game in Manhattan to close out the regular season and get to 7-11 and 11 in the league, I still think that probably gets Oklahoma in at 7-11. and 11. Right now the Sooners have lost seven of their last eight. Yeah. I think they got to go at least 500 down the stretch the remainder of Big 12 play. They got to win 4 of 8. That I would think you're, that would put them at 17 and 14. Mm-hmm. And then you got to win a game in the Big 12 tournament as well. If you are one and done in the Big 12 tournament, that, that's difficult. then that's probably yeah. the uh, the death knell for this team's tournament. Well, hopes. bottom line is uh they play hard. I, I think they, you know, they they like Porter Moser's system. I think Porter Moser's an excellent hire, but the the reality of this situation is the Big 12 is a beast, man, of a conference. It is – and I'm not sure the Big 12 is going to produce the national champion, but they've got, you know, from top to bottom, it is a very, very difficult league. And if you're giving the other team a lot of extra opportunities like the Sooners do at every game, you've got some problems. And that's where Oklahoma is right now. So we'll see what happens against Tech coming up Wednesday night. Sooners win that one. You get some momentum. Uh, look, they're 2% chance in Fog, maybe maybe 5% chance at Fog Allen Fieldhouse Saturday I mean, in the CBS a, game. A few weeks ago when the Sooners were rolling, I said I thought this is the year that they went at the Fog. Yeah, so I, think, I guess I kind of got to go down with the ship on that one. Yeah, it's I don't see that happening. And I think, I don't know, I'd give them about a 40% chance of winning against Tech in that range. But uh, we'll see. We shall see. All right, so the Cowboys win 64-55 in Bedlam. Again, Oklahoma State uh, making the plays. And, again, I think the bench scoring, as Porter Moser alluded to, was huge in that game. All right, we're underway on a Monday. Mike Steely, Parker Thune, right here on the home of Sooner fans, the Ref Radio Network. Great to have you with us. Thanks again. Last year, Home Comfort Systems. Appreciate it. Yes, that's a good one going into break. The Sooner basketball team suffering through the Blues right now, having dropped seven of their last eight. Coming right back, Perry on Winfrey making some money in Mobile. We'll get into that when we get back. Opinions. You've got them. We want to hear them. Sound off 24-7, 365 on the Air Comfort Solutions text line at 405-651-3439. 
He was a monster. He was a beast in Mobile, Alabama at the Senior Bowl over the weekend. We are talking about Perion Winfrey, the MVP of the game over the weekend. Brian Osimo also had a good week for Oklahoma, but Perion Winfrey was, man, he was, it seemed like he was unblockable. Perion Winfrey made himself some coin this weekend, Mike. He did. That's no a doubt. dude that is probably going to be a first-round pick now. Well, and if he can follow up that performance with a really good showing at the Combine, you know, I, I would think that would solidify first-round status, maybe late first-round status. But it, there's no doubt he improved his stature in the draft quite a bit over the weekend. Two sacks, three tackles for loss, and uh, – you know, you were talking about maybe uh, did the Sooners stunt his growth in Norman? <laughs> oh, Mike, clearly the issues that the Sooners had defensively this past year were not for lack of talent. Because no. you're seeing Perrion win. For, like, the MVP of the Senior Bowl, Mike, the MVP, the man that was the most impressive player on the entire football field Saturday. Oh, and by the way, it wasn't just like he flashed in the game and caught lightning in a bottle. You no, saw those he was videos all week. all week. Oh, my gosh. He you was dominating one -on for the entirety of the festivity. He was pushing people back 10 yards. I mean, money's a big motivator, I guess. I don't know. But, uh, man, he looked absolutely beastly all week. I thought his post-game interview was really good, too. The uh, the dude who presented him the MB, uh, MVP trophy called him Marion. But other than that, it was really good. Uh, here's Perry on Winfrey receiving the MVP honors in the Senior Bowl Saturday and uh, propping up OU as well. What did it mean for you to put on that helmet one more time? Man, it meant everything, man. I love the University of Oklahoma, and I just, I've always dreamed of going to the Senior Bowl. So to come out here and wear the University of Oklahoma helmet one last time while also wearing these amazing uniforms, it was a great opportunity and a great experience. Less than three months away now from the NFL draft and your dreams coming true. What happens between now and then for you? More preparation. Preparation removes all doubt. I'm going to just get back to work and get back to work and just work and work and work because I got the combine to get ready for now. There Hashtag program guy, Mike. No doubt, man. He is that been, is a true sooner. He has had some very interesting things uh, that he's put out there on Twitter, too. You uh -huh. can tell there was there was an issue there. Well, it's because he was stunning 25 times a game instead of just straight out rushing the passer. <sighs> yeah. I, I mean, if you have great pass rushers, particularly, and look, he's not an edge rusher like Nick Benito, but don't you just turn those guys loose and say, go get the quarterback almost on every play? You'd think so. Uh, and Perry on Winfrey, there were stretches where he were, he was really good this past year, and then it kind of went away for a while. But And we always say before the season, the guy who looks the most terrifying getting off the bus for Oklahoma is Perry on Winfrey. And he was absolutely terrifying uh, last week in Mobile. Like you said, it wasn't just Saturday. It was all week. Everybody was saying that. Man, Perrion Winfrey's killing it here. Exactly. Like It, it wasn't just the type of the thing where he, he was a flash in the pan on Saturday. All week, Perrion Winfrey was arguably the most impressive player on either side of the ball at the Senior Bowl. And that's saying something at an event that is loaded with NFL draft prospects, some of whom are very high-end prospects with first-round potential. And it's, it's intriguing to me, and we talked about this a little bit on Friday, and how some of these guys are, are good players at OU. They think, man, that guy's got some talent. 
but maybe they they underachieve it. Look, I thought Parnell Motley at times was really good at Oklahoma, but he you know ended up all of a sudden you know making making some plays, particularly in the NFL when he first got there. And now Trey Norwood at Pittsburgh. I mean, I always thought Trey Norwood, yeah, he's all right. But if you'd have told me that Trey Norwood was going to be an impact NFL player as a rookie, like that was what I'm not ashamed to admit it. I completely whiffed on that one. I think a lot of people I would did. not have believed that if you had made me gaze into an actual crystal ball and showed me the tape. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty amazing. He's been uh, he's been a really good player for the Steelers, no doubt. All right, yesterday at the Pro Bowl, by the way, uh, Kyler Murray, three touchdown passes, threw a pick, threw a pick six early in the game. AFC wins 41-35. to Mark Andrews, two touchdown catches, five receptions, 82 yards. I, I don't like the Pro Bowl at all. It's totally ridiculous. How, how are we going to fix this, You Mike? know, it, it What looks, is your solution? How do we fix the Pro Bowl? Do away with it, Jess, but they're not because it's all about the money. I, I don't know, but you like if you look at the highlights, because I'm not going to sit there and watch the Pro Bowl. I, I can't do I that. haven't watched the Pro Bowl. Since Literally, like 2008, it is Kyler Murray drops back and nobody rushes the guy. I mean, they kind of look like they're, I mean, it looks ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. And we've got some things in pro sports that we just shouldn't have anymore. The Pro Bowl is one of those. I don't know. The baseball all-star game, I think, is still worthwhile. The NBA all-star game, the Pro Bowl is the most worthless all-star game. It's great to get honored as a pro bowler. There's no doubt about it. And, uh, you know, the, the Sooners, Mark Andrews probably should have been the MVP. It went to Justin Herbert, though. But Mark Andrews had the best season of any tight end this year in the NFL. Had a great year. And, again, two touchdown catches yesterday. CeeDee Lamb uh, was in the game also, Orlando Brown. But uh, that game just looks ridiculous. It is ridiculous. I mean, it looks like the kind of thing, like if you're shooting a bad sports movie, <laughs> that's what it looks like. Doesn't it? You're I mean, exactly Friday right. Night Lights had better action scenes, man. It wasn't even close. But I don't know. It's um, uh, like I said, I I can't think of a more worthless All Star game. Just there's got to be something at stake. Like, how do you make the players care about the Pro Bowl? How do you make anybody take it seriously? There's got to be there's got to be some incentive. That's my thing. What you give the winning team, each guy gets five hundred grand or something exactly, like that. Something I don't like know. that. Maybe. But, you know, football, plus, think about this. We've already added an extra game. I know they took away some of the exhibition games, which is great, too, because exhibition football is is super boring, too. But I don't know, man. I, it's You go through the grind of the season. You get to the Pro Bowl. Do you want to go all out? Do you want to go, you know, knock each other in the teeth, hit each other in the mouth for 60 minutes in an all-star game when you could risk concussion or injury? It just that game, that sport at that level doesn't suit itself to a good all-star game. Baseball, I mean, you're—I I think you're fine in baseball. Basketball, we know there's no defense played. That's more about highlights, you know, mm-hmm. lobs and you know behind-the-back passes. Yeah, the NBA like All-Star that. Weekend has become kind of gimmicky too. It has not quite to the degree that the Pro Bowl is just absolutely unwatchable but you almost feel like the nba all-star game is as much about saturday nights as it is about the sunday game right but i don't know it it just watching those highlights i'm like you know and they showed one of kyler's touchdown passes and i'm like (laughs) it's like the defenders were counting you know one mississippi two mississippi three mississippi and not even running or playing uh inspired at all which you know that's just the pro bowl so 
So anyway, are you ready for Super Bowl 56? Are you ready? I man, it, <laughs> I could hear the uh, uncertainty in your voice as you tried I, to figure out which Super Bowl. I know. It's the I feel like we're all there. It's though, the like. Roman freaking numerals, man. I mean, I, the NFL's never going to do away with the Roman numerals, but they did for one year when they had Super Bowl Fifty because I guess it just made more sense than calling it Super Bowl L. Well, true. Yeah, it's I don't know, but. but I I am uh, I'm on the Bengals. I want to see the Bengals win the game. Really, I'd, I'm pulling for the Rams. I if I'm being honest, because of well, just because Matthew like, Stafford. The, or the what? Bengals are going to be good for years. Like they're going to have plenty of chances to win a Super Bowl in the coming years for the next decade, decade and a half. The Rams, I feel like their window is a lot smaller, and Matthew Stafford's window is certainly a lot smaller. Matthew Stafford is a guy that I want to see win the big one. He deserves it for all that he's been through. I wouldn't mind seeing Matthew Stafford get uh, get a ring. Ma- mainly, what I root for is a close game more than anything else. But uh, if if I want, I would love to see the Bengals win it. But you're right; you, you never know how many of these cracks you're going to get at it. You never know. But uh, you know, some things fell into place for Cincinnati. They took advantage. I think Lamar Jackson getting hurt. Who knows how far the Ravens would have gone? But um, man. I, I think it'd be really cool to see Zach Taylor in the postgame hoisting the Lombardi Trophy. That's not something we expected to see. No, we did not. <laughs> Certainly yeah, not as a head coach. I remember finding out that the Bengals were hiring Zach Taylor as their mm-hmm. head coach, and I was like, really? Like, that's your guy? Like, Not that Zach Taylor's a bad football coach or anything, but I just remember at the time his his resume was so short. He was you know, like working he had, for Sean McVay, obviously, as an assistant, but you're right. It wasn't uh, super extensive. Yeah, in comparison to the other guys that he was up against for the job, a lot of those guys had done a lot more as NFL football coaches than Zach Taylor. So it was one I kind of scratched my head at, but shoot, three years later, it is paying off in spades. He's impressive, though, man, and uh, good for you know Sherwood's son, Sherwood former Sooner, Norman High School. That would be a great story here locally, obviously. And, uh, you know, the Bengals, I, I don't know how much he's making. They have notoriously been the cheapest organization in the NFL. Now, when the Packers. The Packers have notoriously been the cheapest. I don't know. I would go Bengals. Really? I would go, yes. I mean, they, I'm, I mean, I think they pass out food stamps is what they do in Cincinnati they're that I mean that's how no it's but it notoriously uh Kelly Gregg was there for a while uh great guy Kelly Gregg and he said it was just ridiculous they don't spend any money now again they'll pay for a few guys here and there but this roster man it looks really good I think we all knew that Joe Burrow was special in that uh, Peach Bowl domination of the Sooners uh that was a tremendously uh, talented and historic Oklahoma uh, LSU offense the defense wasn't bad either, but uh, that's impressive, man. Didn't the Browns beat them twice this year? You know, it, it's going to make that loss, as, you know, as egregious and as one-sided as that Peach Bowl loss was, it's going to make it a lot easier for Sooner Nation to swallow if two years later they watch Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase go win a Super Bowl. True. Man, you get the feeling that LSU could have scored 100 that day, too. And Oh, they could have. Yeah. Believe me. I mean, like, it was... If they wanted to score 100 points, they absolutely could have scored 100 points. They were going to score as many points as they wanted to against that Oklahoma defense. 
Yeah, I'm with you. All right, thank you, Tim Lasher. Lasher, Home Comfort Systems, bringing you hour number one here, Steel Man and Thune on the Ref Radio Network, the home of Sooner fans getting ready for Super Bowl 56, coming up 530 on NBC this weekend. Can the Sooners, are they in a great situation where they're actually going to upgrade at quarterback? We'll talk about that next right here on the Ref. Make the right call for OU coverage in the Sooner State. Lock it on the Ref Sports Radio Network, your home for Sooner fans. Okay, we are back. Mike Steely, Parker Thune, Steelman and Thune here on the Ref Radio Network for your Monday. Today's a great day to get out to Riverwind Casino and uh, earn extra entries for the big Friday night drawing, the uh, $80,000 River of Romance giveaway. The drawing is Friday night, but today's a great day to get out there and earn uh, five times the entries for one entry for every five points on your wild card. And again, you can do that until tomorrow night at midnight. So Monday and Tuesday, if uh, you can get over to Riverwind to get the extra entries, you have a greater chance of hearing your name called Friday nights when they draw three patrons' names every half hour from 6 to 11.30 p.m. And they award a bunch of uh, preliminary prizes, cash, bonus play, win your share of $80,000 in cash and bonus play. And then they have uh, two grand prize winners they also draw out. Uh, just before midnight. So a great chance to win. You know what it's like at Riverwind. They have the best service, the best promotions, uh, the best hotel. When we get the concerts cranked up again at the Showplace Theater, that'll be unbelievable. The Beats and Bites Festival this summer. I'm hearing some uh, rumors about a Hall of Fame rock and roll band coming this summer. Uh, That announcement might be coming shortly, but Riverwind, they do it right. They are simply the best. Okay, uh, we know, and we talked about this, Parker, uh, last week, that Dylan Gabriel does not have the ceiling that Caleb Williams has. Like I said, potentially Caleb Williams' ceiling is about as beautiful as the Sistine Chapel. Now, he never got that close last year. He had some moments, and he's got big play potential on every play. But could they be in a better situation? Dylan Gabriel's touchdown-to-interception ratio during his career is 5-1. to one. Caleb, we saw when they were rushing three, dropping eight. He never really figured that out, right? Never did. Uh, what do you think, though, about maybe not having these spectacular, uh, as many spectacular individual plays by the quarterback, but maybe having a steadier season at quarterback with Dylan Gabriel? Yeah, well, I think what you're excited about with Dylan Gabriel, right, is the fact that he's played a lot of football. Mm-hmm. And so consistency is going to be a lot easier for him to achieve than a guy like Caleb Williams, who, like you said, had some really, really exciting moments as a true freshman but also had some moments that were not quite as fantastic and made a bad decision every now and again, sometimes put the ball in harm's way and sometimes just missed an open receiver, that type of thing. Dylan Gabriel probably doesn't have the same propensity to do that. And sure, the ceiling isn't as high, but what you're getting, I think, is a much greater degree of stability, which is something that Oklahoma really hasn't had at the quarterback position since Spencer Rattler really started playing his good ball down the stretch in 2020. But, I mean, we forget the first half of that 2020 season, there were people clamoring for Tanner Mordecai to replace Spencer Rattler. So if you're talking about legitimate stability at the quarterback position, something that Oklahoma hasn't had really since 2019 over the course of an entire season, I think Dylan Gabriel provides that because he's not not the type of guy – that is going to make a drop your jaw, no look touchdown throw 
off his back foot like Caleb Williams did against Texas when he hit Marvin Mims in the corner of the end zone with that peg. That maybe isn't something that Dylan Gabriel is going to do, at least not as commonly as you saw that type of stuff from Caleb Williams. But what Dylan Gabriel is going to provide you is he's going to put up numbers, and he's not going to turn the ball over. You look at the touchdown-to-interception ratio, 70 touchdowns, 14 interceptions over the course of his career at You take that any day, man. He's, He's aggressive in the way that he pushes the ball downfield, but he's not reckless. That's there's a very there's a very sometimes blurred line between aggressive and reckless. Some guys toe the line. Caleb Williams was one of those guys. It was con- Spencer Rattler was absolutely toeing that line at times, and in fact tended more towards the reckless side. Yeah, but Dylan Gabriel can very much approach that line between aggressive and reckless, and still be safe with the football while pushing it downfield with some aggression. The it's last Southpaw quarterback at Oklahoma worked out pretty well, though, right? Kendall Thompson? Well, well yeah, I guess. <laughs> Josh Heupel, I guess that wasn't the last one. But, uh, you know, a, a transfer quarterback who came in, I guess. Uh, second season national championship. Jeff Lebby uh, was on the Zoom last week. I thought he, he was really good at meeting with all the reporters uh, who threw him a bunch of questions, and I thought he answered them very well. And he was asked about what stands out about Dylan Gabriel. There's a couple of things, but one is the production. You know, the guy's averaging over 300 yards a game, three touchdowns a game in, in 26 starts. So you can't argue that piece of it. But I think probably the thing that I'm most excited about is this guy knows how to operate. He knows how to walk in the building every single day, have great ownership and how he's going to operate, how he's going to take command of the offense and, and what it means to be a quarterback. And so to me, that that is huge and that is critical as we set the tone and the standard of, of how we're going to do things, you know, with with Coach Venables, myself, the things that we're going to do offensively, having that guy that can can roll with it immediately and and knows what to expect, I, I think it's huge. No real concern about the uh, separated shoulder. Uh, the thought there is it's you know it's it'll be all healed up. He'll be ready to go. He'll be fine in that department. But it's going to be interesting to see how um, how this offense, you know. Uh, plays out in this first season. I think that because when Muleshoe made his decision, that evil decision that he made, Sooner fans were hoping for some good. And the good they were hoping for was Brent Venable's head coach, Jeff Levy, offensive coordinator. And they got both. So, um, you know, like I said, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. But what do you think about the way – Jeff Levy's offensive system will uh, differ from Mule Shoes because they both have been very productive. But what do you think Sooner fans can see, will see differently uh, with, with Jeff Levy's offense? I think it starts with the play of the wide receivers and the emphasis on getting talented wide receivers the football because you kind of, especially towards the end of Lincoln Riley's tenure at Oklahoma, you were kind of left scratching your head and wondering what in the world is Riley doing with his wideouts right now? Like, what is what is his vision? What is his plan here? Because he su- he succeeded in completely alienating Marvin Mims mm-hmm. by season's end. Mario Williams was underutilized. I Mike Woods had his moments, sure, but even he, I don't think, was used in the capacity that he should have been, which is. Stretching the ball, uh, like stretching out down the field, 
uh, trying to be that overhead deep threat that he was at Arkansas for three years prior to coming to Oklahoma. So I think there was a lot of misuse at the wide receiver position. And look, it's no shot at guys like Brian Darby or Trayvon West or Jalil Farouk. But when those guys were getting as many snaps as they were in relief of somebody like Marvin Mims or like Mario Williams, it was really inexcusable. And you can understand why Mims in particular had the frustration that he did towards the end of that season is because production-wise, he showed what he was capable of when he was on the field for 80% of the snaps in 2021. Yep. Then... You come back around in, or I'm sorry, 2020. Then you come back around in 2021, and he's rotating out basically every other play and getting three, four targets per game. Make no mistake, Jeff Lebby, I think, is going to make a concerted effort to put the ball in the hands of two guys in particular, Marvin Mims and Theo Weiss, because those are the guys that you know have a ridiculously high ceiling and have demonstrated that they can be difference makers at the wideout position. And certainly, you could be in for a breakout year from a guy like Jalil Farouk or even a true freshman like Jaden Gibson. But those are your dudes right there at wideout. Marvin Mims, Theo Weiss. Those are the guys you're going to force feed the ball to. I do think there was too much rotating out of good players on the OU roster. Uh, You look at defense again, I, I think that was causing an issue also. I mean... Uh, look, I know we're in an age of specialization and you want to keep you, your guys fresh for the fourth quarter. I get that. I'm not saying they shouldn't be rotating. You know, they should play every single snap. But too many really good players weren't in the game enough for Oklahoma, in my opinion. We'll see if that changes again uh, with Brent and uh, Jeff Levy this coming fall. All right, Mike Steely, Parker Thune with you. Let's get head to the Air Comfort Solutions text line when we get back, 405-651-3439. That's 405-651-3439. Air Comfort Solutions text line available to you. Any question you have, we'll try and answer. We'll get to all of your texts coming up next here on this Monday. Keep it here. This is your home for Sooner fans. The Ref Sports Radio Network. All right, welcome back. Monday here on Steel Man and Thune at noon on the Ref Radio Network. Your home for Sooner fans. Hope everybody had a good weekend. Thank you again to Tim Lasher, Lasher Home Comfort Systems, for sponsoring our first hour. Are we ready to go to the Air Comfort Solutions text line? 405-651-3439. Let us do so, Mike. One of our listeners says, What didn't Riley misuse on offense? Stogner should have had a monster year. He didn't develop any five stars he got. And yeah, to elaborate on the conversation that we were having last segment where I mentioned I think Riley misused his wide receivers badly, here's what I mean. Mike Woods is a guy that you shouldn't be throwing four-yard curls to, Mike. That's a dude that you should be unleashing down the field, Mm -hmm. getting him stretching the field, being your deep threat the way that he was used at Arkansas. For a guy like Marvin Mims, you just get him the ball. As elusive as he he is in the open field, if that's short, if that's intermediate, you you dial up plays specifically designed to put the ball in Marvin Mims' hands. If that means bubble screens, you run bubble screens. Because athletically, he's as good as a, of a wide receiver as Oklahoma has had since C.D. Lamb. For a guy like Mario Williams, again, dynamic in the open field. That's the type of player where he, I, I heard him compared over the weekend to Ray Leak Brown. And 
having those two in the same offense at USC uh, is going to open up a world of possibilities for Muleshoe. Whether he takes advantage of those opportunities, I don't know. But I, for a minute, I was confused by the Ray Leak Brown comparison. Then I realized, you know what? Mario Williams is the type of guy that can be used in that capacity, too. Get him a couple snaps out of the backfield, honestly. Run him on a jet sweep, a reverse. Yeah. The Sooners used Trayvon West in a couple instances as that guy. and They they dabbled with using Mario Williams in that capacity, too. But still, I look at what he could have done with 10 touches a game in a multifaceted role for Oklahoma, and it makes me wonder, why was he such an ill used part of the game why was he so minimally utilized in that sense he was a guy that there were games mike where he didn't catch a pass yeah there were games where he got a target or two and that was it and so you had three guys in that receiver room in williams mims and mike woods that i think were thoroughly misused by muleshoe yeah, and, and I agree on Stogner, too. I thought Stogner coming back, uh, being healthy again, you know, he was going to have a bigger year. And um, I, I don't know. Again, based on what he'd been through, it was pretty amazing what he overcame physically. But, yeah, it's it's almost like they were trying to spread the wealth too much. Did you get that feeling? Yes. I mean, yes. and it's like you can't please everybody. You have guys who are your first-team guys for a reason. I'm excited to see if Theo Weiss can have a breakout year because I think he's got a chance to be really good, right? Uh, Hazelwood never lived up to the five-star billing, and a lot of that was injuries. I don't doubt his talent. I still think he's very talented. You might see Jaden Hazelwood making plays you know, more than we expected at the NFL level because I think he has that kind of ability. We know what happened with Trajan Bridges. I mean, geez. But um, Hazelwood was one guy that I would say Muleshoe actually used correctly because that was a guy that they tried to get the ball to him primarily in the red zone, which is where he's most dangerous. And so Hazelwood was really the only guy that I feel like Muleshoe figured out how to utilize in that offense in 2021. And it makes me wonder – what hap- well <laughs> I think I know I think I know well what happened but think about 2019 Mike and the way that Oklahoma you know I I use the term force fed that's really what they did with CeeDee Lamb they force fed him the ball just get the ball in his hands by any means necessary and let him cook and he did that mm. how, how is it that Muleshoe couldn't figure out how to do that with Mims and Mike Woods and Mario Williams in 2021 Good question. Very good question. And uh, by the way, you may have seen Friday uh, Jeremiah Cradell's uh, announcement that he's going to be joining the uh, the coaching staff. Uh, he's been advised by a bunch of doctors that he's had concussion issues. And uh, so he's not going to be playing any longer, but he is going to be a GA. So he's starting on that path, which I think is great, man. Uh, I love what he had to say. I thought his tweet was really good. I think uh, this group that he's working with, with Brent and, uh, you know, Jeff Levy, Ted Roof, all these guys, um, you know, I, I love what they're saying and the kind of the direction they're taking the program aside from just the football aspects. And uh, I, I think best of luck for Jeremiah Cradell. But Muleshoe decided he was going to jump on Twitter and congratulate Jeremiah Cradell. And I thought, oh, my gosh. That, yeah. Actually, I kind of thought, all right, that's that's cool. And then, of course, that blew up and got completely ratioed. It's like, the first The first response you... I saw was, please stop trying to act like you're a good person. Yeah, I saw that. And then there was some meme that said F you. And it was, 
Why can't you just uh, – I, look, I don't know if he could, uh, could could even text the kid, but the minute I saw that, I'm like, oh, really? He's going to try this. Here we go. Here we go. And boom. It, it always cracks me up. There's always one one or two USC fans, oh, my gosh, these Oklahoma people are just horrible. They're angry. They're very angry. And listen – you know what? You can just worry about your movie stars out there and all that stuff you worry about, all right? This is football, by God, country right here. It ain't La La Land, all right? I mean, USC football has like, what do they have? OU has 10 times the followers. And again, I get, I'm not completely consumed with how many followers somebody has. It, a lot of it depends on how much attention you want, but... At the same time, that's pretty remarkable to have 10 times the followers that USC has. I think, uh, didn't I see a tweet that OU, OU women's softball has more than SC football? That's probably true. Back to the Air Comfort Solutions text line. Mule Shoe is making the same mistake already at USC by assigning way too many skill players compared to O&D linemen. Yeah, I, I want to play what Brent had to say about that coming up next hour because I thought he was right on the money. And, uh, you know, I, I I really think, particularly with Oklahoma headed to the SEC, who knows how quickly that's going to happen, they're in a better spot long term. And I'm not trying to say Lincoln Riley didn't do some good things here, Muleshoe, but not good enough for when you're getting to that league. And I, I think the way kind of the philosophy of this staff is more in line with SEC football – no doubt about it. I mean, Lincoln's basically going to another flag football league, right? The Big 12 for a long time was flag football. It, it started to change a little bit more. Lincoln was probably salivating watching the Pro Bowl yesterday. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's how he likes to play it, man. He doesn't like contact. How's Clark Stroud doing? Have we seen him recently? Yeah, he's back on Twitter. That's all Easy. I know. Gosh, the Friday video's coming back. Apple. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we shall return for hour two, so stay right here. It's time for the Steelman and Thune at noon with Mike Steely and Parker Thune. Hit the guys up on the law offices of Rod Pulse and Oklahoma Tax Resolution Line at 405 329 9000. Or shoot the guys a text on the Air Comfort Solutions text line at 405-651-3439. Live from the Brown O'Haver Studios, here's Mike Steely and Parker Thune. All right, welcome in. It is hour number two here on a Monday. The Seth Wadley Auto Group in Paul's Valley, a great place to go get a great deal on a car or truck. Exit 72 in Paul's Valley and a great guarantee. Oil changes engines for life on new or used gas or diesel at no additional cost to you that's a heck of a deal right there all right so ronnie on twitter i think he's trying to set me up here says steely give me three words to describe clark stroud uh three (laughs) what do you okay are you just trying to set me up here uh attention seeking clown how's that oh boy attention seeking clown Mm-hmm. You give me your three. Okay, hang on, hang on, hang on. Attention-seeking clown. 
So that hand, does this have to be a continuous it, phrase? It just says, give me three. He said to me, give me three words to describe Clark Stroud. And uh, I don't know why he, we're, we're going to open the. Those uh, are three pretty good. I, I'm not sure if I can one up that. That's the thing. Like, <laughs> that's a pretty, that's a pretty perfect encapsulation. Well, of- it would have been better if you can do a U word because we've got the S and the C. Oh, okay, okay, right, okay. So okay. think of a U word, and then we'll go seeking clown with that. Uh, oh, there are so few words that start with U. I'm going to have to noodle on that. All right, work on that, and then we'll perfect it uh, later in the show. So, anyway. All right, uh, welcome in to hour number two, again, uh, presented by the Seth Wadley Auto Group in Paul's Valley. We were talking about uh, what Oklahoma fans are wanting to see and look the offensive fireworks were fun man to be able to see baker mayfield do what he did kyler murray do what he did then jalen hurts come in and you know uh, make it to new york as a heisman candidate at least was was really good and look mule shoe did some good things offensively i'm not sitting here telling you that he's not a good offensive mind now it got okay you got it unamusing psychophantic clown all right there you go i like that there we go that's it right there. But what is what do OU fans want to see? They want to see some physical football. They want to see the defense dominating. Now, look, in this era, uh, you know, because offenses run more plays and they're spreading the field, you're not going to see like the 85 Oklahoma defense, right, that might limit somebody to 150 yards a game or something or they had stretches where they're able to do that. It's different. But you can still play a lot better defense than they've been playing. And Brent Venables, we've seen what they're doing in recruiting. They're getting some of these edge rushers. They're getting defensive linemen bigger and thicker. And Sooner fans are excited about that. And Brent said during his Zoom last week that there is no doubt they are going to be emphasizing line play on both sides of the ball as a top priority. Uh, play for a, a you know a conference championship, to have a chance to play in the playoffs, certainly to to have a chance to not only get in a national championship game, but win it. And you better believe it starts at the line of scrimmages. That's where it's all always has been, always ha- will be. Um, you know, just and I'm watching that game a few weeks ago with uh, George and Alabama. That's what jumped out to me. The, the decade that I was at Clemson, we had the most sacks in college football, the most tackles for loss in college football. We had the most defensive linemen drafted in college football. Um, and, and again, with the second winningest team in college football during that time. Makes a lot of sense why Brent was able to close on so many blue-chip defensive prospects down the stretch in yeah. 2022, right? You just walk in and say those words you know, and, to a and, recruit. And part of the deal is we've talked about this for a long time. Man, why can't OU get some of those top-notch, unbelievably talented five-star defensive linemen to come in? Well, you know uh, – most of those kids wanted to go play at two places, either the SEC or Clemson, right? Because Cle- let's let's be honest here. Clemson has basically been an honorary SEC member for been. the last decade. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You think of the SEC, you kind of think of Clemson. Right, yeah. Well, I mean, they're, they're rivals South Carolina, right? And uh, they're in the same region of the country, and they're – Yes, Clemson is the one program. Look, Ohio State would be fine. I think Oklahoma, you know, particularly with the direction they're going now, uh, is going to be fine. It's going to be a lot more difficult. There's no doubt. I'm not sitting here thinking that, yeah, Oklahoma's just going to come in and be immediately just great in the SEC. There are going to be some lumps to take. There's no doubt. That's why you also need, I believe, a 12-team playoff 
you know, as quickly as you can get there. But Clemson is a program. You've got to see the defensive results, right? You've got to have the receipts, and Clemson can go, here, take a look at these. This is what I've done. Yeah, if you ask the casual college football fan who's in the SEC, Vanderbilt or Clemson, who would they say? Yeah. Exactly. No, no you're right. And like, they, Clemson, Clemson has been swinging with the heavyweights out of the ACC, a conference with which, with the exception of Clemson, has been pitiful for close to a decade, Mike. The decline of Florida State has played a role in that, and Miami's, uh, you know, inconsistency also, mainly consistency, not not that great. And you think about the the standard that Miami had, where they won five national championships in eighteen years. It's pretty hard to live up to that, but. Um, Sooner fans want to see that. I mean, offensive football is sexier. I get it. But you know what else looks pretty good? Getting after the quarterback. Tackles for loss. Not giving up third and 15 or third and 19. Or, you know, missing three tackles in the open field. Um, That is what Sooner fans are tired of. And Alex Grinch, they made a few strides here and there. But I thought last year, based on the talent they had, look at what happened with Perrion Winfrey. He just dominated the Senior Bowl. Not just the game, the week. And this team underachieved on the defensive side of the ball. They, they underachieved everywhere, but particularly, I think, on defense based on what they had. And it falls back on coaching, 100%. I don't know how you can look at it now in hindsight and say that it wasn't a coaching issue or say that it was anything other than a coaching issue because Perrion Winfrey is far from the only player that is going to be drafted this time around in the NFL draft come April. And he's far from the only guy that's going to be drafted within the first two days. Nick Benito is in that contingent. Brian Asamoah, particularly after the week he had at the Senior Bowl, is certainly in that contingent. Isaiah Thomas as well. Delarian Turner-Yell mm-hmm. could end up making a push into day two contention. So it was not for lack of talent that the Sooners struggled on defense this past year. And not that anybody, kind of, not that anybody thought it was, but – it places the burden all the more squarely on the shoulders of Alex Grinch and Speed D. I'm, I'm using air quotes here, Speed D in hindsight because with as much talent as the Sooners had on the defensive side of the ball in 2021, they should have been one of the best units in the nation. And they, much like we were talking about with the wide receivers and Lincoln Riley's offense, a lot of that talent on the defensive side of the football for Oklahoma was misused. Roy Manning was among the uh, the worst assistant coaches in OU history uh, as a defensive backs coach. I mean, I just saw Scooter Proctor over the weekend. His dad, Bobby Proctor, legendary, legendary defensive backfield coach. And the Sooners have had some good ones through the years. Roy Manning, like I said, hype videos. They, I don't think they were very well coached back there. Uh, you, know, you know what I can tell you, Mike? You know what I can tell you after uh, talking to a few people over the weekend? That's actually part of Roy Manning's new recruiting pitch at USC. That's what he's telling – because he's the outside linebackers coach out yeah, there now. Yeah, he is. That's what he's telling the kids he's recruiting is, look, I had no idea what I was doing as a cornerbacks coach at Oklahoma. I'm a backer, and now I'm back coaching backers. Come be part of this because now <laughs> I know what the hell I'm doing. That never made any sense to me. Look, I I know that, uh, you know, people coach, uh, you know, assistant coaches move and change positions and coach other groups. I get that. But that one never made sense to me. Who's responsible for that? The head coach, right? How did he end up coaching cornerbacks? 
I don't know. We <laughs> we should have analyzed that a lot more than we did. We should have really dug into the weeds to figure out how that happened and why it happened. Because he had look, he had no business coaching cornerbacks, and I'm glad he's self aware enough to admit it in hindsight. But man. Like the the running joke apparently was that whenever somebody would bust a coverage or get beaten, his encouragement to them was just be more physical. It's like really, this this is the coaching that you're getting in the defensive back. It makes so much more sense now why the Sooners struggled in the secondary, particularly at the cornerback position over the last few years, and. You have to give a lot of credit to Woody Washington amidst all of that because as well as he's performed, mm-hmm. getting oh, yeah. coached up like that, it makes it all the more impressive. I am uh, I can't wait to see how this defense plays out. I really can. I, I think it's going to be fun to watch. I, I like this coaching staff a lot, and uh, you know they're going about it in a different way. They they just are. And like I said, I don't think you're going to see uh, potential recruits coming in and posing with uh, with uh, Ferraris and Lamborghinis in the end zone. I, if that happens, uh, if that happens during a Brent Venables regime, I would be flabbergasted. I, again, that is a look at me type situation, and I. I don't think you know Brent's what would happen. That. You know what would happen if anybody tried to roll a Lambo out onto the field during a recruiting event. Jerry Schmidt would walk in with a sledgehammer. <laughs> yeah. That's what they should do. Have the sledgehammer. Well, that would be pretty costly, and they're hiring. Jerry a, they're, Schmidt they're hiring be, a bunch of consultants over yeah, there. Yeah, Jerry Schmidt would walk up to that thing with a sledgehammer slung over one shoulder and an ice pick over the other, and that would be the end. <laughs> All right, we got a break. We do have John Hamm coming up at 1235. It's a big, uh, well, not big, but hey, anytime the Golden State Warriors are coming to town, it's it's an interesting matchup. And we want to talk to John because the uh, trade deadline is on the way. And the Thunder won three or four. They did lose to uh, the Sacramento Kings 113 to 103 Saturday night. There's still a basketball team up there in Oklahoma City? There still is. And I'm wondering, you know, how much longer will Thunder fans put up with this? I don't know if they have a lot of choice right now, but we'll talk to John about that coming up at 1235. Let's get back to the text line next on the Air Comfort Solutions text line. Whatever you want to say, whatever you want to ask, we'll get to it next. The Ref. Network Studios are powered by the insurance adjusters at Brown O'Haver. Fire, wind, theft, tornado. We can help. Call 405-735-5510. Oh, my gosh. I got to stop laughing at this stuff, but I can't yet. So uh, that Clark dude tweeted out, you know, the uh, you may have seen the uh, the tweet, Caleb Williams wearing uh, Beats. Sure. And uh, so Beats by Dre, obviously they put out a tweet and uh, the attention-seeking clown retweeted it. And uh, the OU fans went in there with Feats by Dre. Uh, <laughs> And if you saw, you, oh, you guys boy. might know what, what's that about. Allegedly, uh, Caleb Williams may have the same uh, likes as uh, Rex, Rex Ryan. Ryan. And uh, the B, this one, the B on the side of the headphones, Parker, they put a T in a bow. It, uh-huh. so, yeah, I saw uh, that one. It's pretty good. So they're, they're, they're never ending, man. They're never ending. Here is the deal because th- those guys turned the comments back on. You know what they're trying to do, What right? are they trying to do? 
They are wanting to. They're. They're. I. I you know what? I. I would almost guarantee you to say, you know what? If the Oklahoma fans are going to come after us, let's just let let them uh, look like fools. Somebody. So said they're just that. embracing it now. Is that what you're saying? They're saying that the Oklahoma fans are making their own program look bad with all this bitterness and pettiness. So just let them go at it. I bet somebody, their social media expert there at Southern Cal took that approach. What do you think? I, I, I mean, I don't. I think at a certain point, you're just like, okay, I, I have to interact with people on social media yeah. anymore, and I can't really worry about what my former fan base thinks. But I'm also just like, you, you can't expect this to stop anytime soon. You understand that you just jilted one of the most devoted fan bases in America. No, and and part of it is, and some of it does look bad. And look, I am look, I'm guilty here, man. I've been petty and unprofessional, and I need to let go of this stuff. But some of it has tapped into the old Mike Steely, you know, Oklahoma football fan since he was five years old, born in Norman, you know, grew, grew up hearing the roar of the stadium, you know, from a mile away from where I was born, basically, uh, and it tapped into that. But Oklahoma. People in Oklahoma like loyalty, and there's not much loyalty in sports. And there are a lot of people who will tell you in sports, particularly professional sports, um, that loyalty will get you beat. And we're seeing more of the college ranks looking more like the pro ranks now. So get used to some of this stuff, Yeah, particularly with players. I still think what Muleshoe did was downright devious, the way he went about it, period. It's interesting that you bring up that line that loyalty will get you beat. And that that may be true at the professional level. Yes. I don't more, buy it. It's I don't buy that at the collegiate level. Because no, think I don't about either. this. Think about the programs that we have seen win national titles over the last few years. Georgia, that's Kirby Smart's alma mater. Mm-hmm. He's as loyal as it gets to Georgia football. Yeah. Dabo Sweeney, that dude has lived and breathed Clemson football from the time he was promoted to head coach there. Nick Saban at Alabama? That dude's – he's going to be cold in the grave before he is walking away from his post as Alabama's head football coach. Yeah, so, and, and the bottom line is you just don't see a coach leave a blue blood program uh, like Oklahoma for another. Until, well, Brian Kelly, of course, followed suit, but he's a D-bag too. Even so, Ed Orgeron at LSU. Mm-hmm. That dude was all in with the – Go Tigers. Yeah. Anyway, all right, let's get back to the Air Comfort Solutions text line, 405-651-3439. All right, people are upset again. Oh, no. I hate hearing how screwed OU really was by the coaching staff. This discussion, while accurate, is sickening. It just feed the beliefs, which I think is correct, that Muleshoe checked out at least as early as September when Clay Helton was sacked. Yeah, maybe that could be accurate. I, that's one. That's one of those things that we probably won't have any sort of reliable answer on how it all went down for at least another decade or two. Like it'll be something that we will need and probably ultimately have a retrospective on, but that nobody is going to discuss or disclose the details of in any time in the near future. Well, and there's going to be a thirty for thirty. There's going to be a lot of Oklahoma-based thirty for thirties. Uh, first of all, the Thunder thirty for thirty is going to be huge. And then uh, the, you know, I don't know what it'll be, the week to change college football when you had both Muleshoe and Brian Kelly doing uh-huh. what they did. 
And or the year that changed college football, that'll be coming down there. I mean, we just got the tuck rule 30 for 30. You know, the last couple of nights it finally came out, which I need to go watch, by the way. But, um, yeah, there, there'll have to be a book written about this or something, right? We need it. We need the insight. 30 for 30 might not be extensive. We might need an E60. Do they still do those? I think they do some E60s, don't they? Okay. Once you get to the SEC, you get your SEC profile stuff, too. So. Yeah, well, if they, if they aren't doing E60s anymore, they need to they need to resurrect it, bring it back for one episode so that we can get the full scoop on Mule Shoe and OU and USC. Uh, people asking on the text line about Kamar Wheaton, no. No. Wasn't no. SMU, the answer is and will be no. Was SMU the rumor there? What are we hearing on Kamar Wheaton? I haven't heard anything, but that's also because I haven't tried to hear anything. I know OU isn't pursuing him, and so that's about where my interest in that whole saga begins and ends. Well, and we talked about there's going to be a second wave after spring practice of some kids coming through the portal, and uh, maybe that's where you get a, another quarterback or another running back. We'll see. Didn't work out with Trey Bradford so well, right? No, it did not. Which, by the way, like everything I've heard indicates that Trey Bradford got to OU realized what a joke Benny Wiley was and was like, I should probably get out of here. Now, I don't know. Maybe that's just speculation. But I've heard that from plenty of people, that it was the uh, the Benny Wiley P90X Pilates strength and conditioning program that turned Trey Bradford off and made him uh, switch gears, as it were. Hmm. Which, I mean, if that was the case, props to him because he saw something that's – a lot of other people didn't see at the time. Body by Schmitty is a better program, is what you're saying. Hey, maybe Trey Bradford ends up in Oklahoma after all. Who knows? I don't know. I thought it was a girlfriend issue, but you're saying the Benny Wiley wimpy workouts were part that, of the That is what I've heard as of late, is that particularly, you know, all, all kinds of stuff comes to light after a coach leaves, right? Because then there's a lot of stuff that can come to light without fear of repercussion. And so after Benny Wiley left, you started to hear a lot more about what that regime actually entailed. And one of the things that I picked up on was, you know, it was actually uh, it was actually Wiley's strength program that Bradford was altogether unenthused by. Hmm. Very interesting. Very interesting. All right. Uh, for you, Parker, uh, being asked, ask Parker who he sees being the biggest, making the biggest impact in this incoming class, the biggest impact guy in this incoming recruiting class. Man, I does that include transfers too? Give me one transfer, okay, okay. and one uh, freshman coming in. I have Jeffrey Johnson penciled in as a starter on the defensive line right now, and the kid from Tulane. He'll certainly have competition because. Isaiah Coe is going to be back and vying for that role. Jonah Laulu is going to vie for that role. You've got Josh Ellison. You've got Corey Roberson. They've got no shortage of defensive tackles uh, that could be in competition for that spot next to Jalen Redmond on the defensive line. I like Jeffrey Johnson just because of how much football he's played and what he brings to the table from a physical capacity. But I also think that's a, you know, that's a spot where he's probably going to see less action than Jalen Redmond will. Redmond's going to be the guy that you're not taking him off the field unless you have to, right? Johnson will probably get spelled a little bit more often by guys like Laulu and Josh Ellison. Um, 
in terms of the true freshman class, and man, I feel like I've answered this question a thousand times from one person or another uh, over the course of the last week or so. I I think I think where I begin is Jaron Kanak, just because, man, everything that everybody has heard about this kid uh, over the course of winter workouts, how fast he is, how strong he is, how athletic he is in terms of his ability uh, to broad jump, vertical jump, all that stuff, like. He's just an outlier. He's a kid that was born to play football and play it at a very high level. And so I would be very surprised if Jaron Kanak does not have a sizable impact on this team as a true freshman, whether he ultimately ends up at linebacker, which is what I expect, or maybe maybe ends up factoring in the picture at safety just because he's got 4-4 speed. And so you get a guy that's that big and then has a linebacker's physique – He's a pretty terrifying guy to have in the back end of your secondary. So, for me, Jaron Kanak, Javante Barnes, and then Robert Spears Jennings are the three guys that I've kind of touted uh, for quite a while now as guys that could have early impact. I mean, I've been pounding the drum for RSJ since the minute he committed in July, and I've been on the Javante Barnes train even longer, and those are two of the guys that are impressing. Not quite to the degree that Jaron Kanak is, because I don't think anybody is on that level right now, but uh, those are guys that have made a very strong first impression over the course of winter workouts. Another guy that uh, there's a lot of love for behind the scenes, uh, Nebraska's own Caden Helms. So. Yeah, and uh, what were we hearing? I think uh, Jeff Levy said that Schmitty's already put eight pounds on him. Uh huh. So there you go. There you go. Yeah, he uh, he looks like again that uh, he he's not played his best football yet. There's a lot of potential there. Yeah. Well, but I've also been the, told he is faster and far more agile than any of the other tight ends in that room. So again, not sure how much that means in the grand scheme because experience comes into play and. Your ability to learn on a curve with the new playbook, that comes into play as well. But I don't know how you look at this tight end room right now and conclude that anybody other than Caden Helms has the highest physical ceiling. This spring game and this spring football session coming up is going to be the biggest we've had around here in years. No doubt about it. With the excitement for the new regime, the new offense, and the excitement that the defense hopefully is going to be able to get better and uh, and start playing the kind of defense they're going to need once they get to the Southeastern Conference, people are going to be fired up, really fired up. All right, when we get back, we'll talk a little Thunder basketball. John Ham's going to join us, and uh, the Warriors are in town tonight. Poku with a nice return the other night. We'll talk about that and more, plus more of your texts on the Air Comfort Solutions text line. Stay here. This is your home for Sooner fans, the Ref Sports Radio Network. All right, welcome back. John Hamm, Thunder Insider, joining us here on this Monday afternoon on the law offices of Rod Polson, Oklahoma Tax Resolution Line, here on uh, this Monday edition of Steel Man and Thune, here on The Ref. John, uh, which 30 for 30 are you looking forward to most? Is it the uh, Days of Thunder 30 for 30, or would it be the uh, Mule Shoe Incident 30 for 30? <laughs> Man, uh, can they possibly take the the Thunder thirty for thirty and cram it into two hours, or is this going to be like one of those OJ five part stories? Because yeah. there's a lot to tell, man. There is a lot to tell, <laughs> no doubt about it. And it started, uh, of course, with the team coming to 
the Paycom uh, Center tonight, the Golden State Warriors with the Splash Brothers back together again. What do you think about uh, Golden State currently, you know, not not as good as Phoenix in the West, but having a good season? And uh, it's cool to see Klay Thompson back, man. As I know he killed everybody in Game 6, and that forever changed the – uh, the trajectory of Thunder basketball, but it it is cool to see him back. I mean, isn't it kind of weird how like Clay Thompson is not like despised? You know, he's he's likable. He really is. Even though, like you said, that game six in Oklahoma City, uh, you know, n- not to, you know picking any scabs and pour salt in him, but you know, one of the most amazing playoff performances you ever seen. So, you know, uh, Golden State, look, they fell in the tank for a couple of years, injuries and, and things like that. Um, you know, and they've, they've built up a team that obviously kind of kept the core together. They need to get Draymond Green healthy. We need to see what, you know, what happens there. But, you know, they've got some talent in the pipeline that they're going to try to integrate in. They're in pretty good shape. I mean, it's sort of Spurs-like. You know, when you think about how they had that run from David Robinson to Tim Duncan to Kawhi, Kawhi left, and, of course, now they've sort of disappeared. But, you know, they're sort of set up for that sort of a run. John, you think the fact that Clay Thompson isn't as despised as you might imagine he would be just evidence that it's really hard for Oklahoma City fans in particular to hate somebody as much as they hate Kevin Durant? And with the knowledge that Clay's Game 6 explosion uh, came shortly before Durant decided to jump ship for Golden State, do you, that, you think that kind of uh, took precedence and took priority over their hatred for Clay Thompson? You know, uh, maybe so. And, and look, Draymond Green is also, you know, of course, he was a man. He was he was a kick to the groin in that series. The too, Nutcracker, right? and, yes. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so you know, Draymond did did plenty. Of course, there was the, the there's the stories of him, you know, basically recruiting Kevin throughout that entire season, basically not just that playoff series. Um, you know, Clay was able to just sort of lay back and say, "Whatever you need me for, man. If you need me to, you know, flip a text, I can do it." You know, but it was Draymond doing most of the legwork there. Uh, you know, Steph Curry and his his swagger, you know, rubs people the wrong way. Clay just doesn't, you know, he he just doesn't rock the boat, right? And and I think that is what has sort of endeared him to even the people that are like, well, yeah, he he ruined the trajectory of my franchise, but he's a pretty cool dude. <laughs> he's pulled that off pretty well. All right, so the Thunder and the Warriors tonight, 7 o'clock. Oklahoma City will be at uh, hosting Toronto on Wednesday before heading to Philly on Friday and the Bulls uh, on Saturday. Get the All-Star break coming up. Get the trade deadline coming up. Uh, the Thunder had won at three in a row. They lost to Sacramento uh, by 10 a Saturday night. Um, how about Poku coming back from the G League? Where where do you stand right now on the Poku experiment? Is Has it gone completely wrong and uh you know we're not going to be able to put the frankenstein monster back together or do you (laughs) still think it needs more time yeah i mean it's it's hard you know to understand like there's he's so young and and he was really raw to begin with right and he got a lot of room to roam last season uh and we got the full poku experience i mean even his you know behind the back passes into the seventh row were just exciting exhilarating uh they're trying to rein him in some and you know, so far, the, the results have been pretty shaky. It was good to see him in Sacramento, you know, come out when his number was called with Lou Dort being out. And he came out and produced. And, I mean, what I saw Saturday night was a guy that was active. Uh, he was aggressive. He wasn't just sort of floating from end to end uh, of the court. And I think that's what the Thunder are trying to bring out in him. Like, you've got you've to find a way to make an impact, even if you're not involved in every play. So, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult for a young player, even this season, Steely, you know, uh, gosh, if you would have talked to me about a month ago, 
I would have been completely out on Darius Baisley. But, you know, he's turned a corner there, sort of found a niche that he's working on. So, you know, you kind of you hope the same thing for Poku. He may not turn out to be, you know, maybe the all-star that people hoped, uh, but there's still, you know, it, it's too early to give up on him at this point. Let me ask you this then, John. Is there anybody on this Oklahoma City team that you are out on at this point? Oh, man. You know, it's it, like I say, the whole team, save for, you know, two or three guys, is just so young. So you really hate to write their obituary too far in advance, right? Um, you know, now there have been guys that are taking step backs this season. You know, that Teo Maladone showed some promise last year. He, he led the team in minutes played throughout the season. Um, but obviously, you know, this season has not been good for him. Uh, so, you know, of course, that's sort of on the on the small scale of things, right? That's a, that's a guy that, you know, may be replaceable down the road through one of these many draft picks that they have or through a trade. Um, you know, that's one that you look at. Um, you know, Isaiah Roby has kind of shown a couple of things here and there. But, you know, is that a guy you look at and say he's going to be on this, you know, squad whenever the Thunder is, is back in the playoffs? You know, probably not. Um, so, you know, but the other ones, like I say, we, we kind of have to ride that, you know, ups and downs. We were spoiled a little bit on that first iteration of the Thunder, right? Whenever Durant, Westbrook, Harden, Ibaka just all took off and it was a straight trajectory upwards. This rebuild is, is, is going to fluctuate a little bit. John Hamwood is Thunder Insider on the law offices of Rod Polston, uh, Oklahoma Tax Resolution Line. Mike Steely Parker Thune with you on this Monday. All right, before we let you go, uh, Trey Young, all-star starter, I think we all thought that Trey was going to be a good, solid NBA player. He's always going to be linked with Luka because of the deal. Uh, and if you look at the history of Oklahoma basketball players in the NBA, I think the the most decorated is Blake Griffin. Uh, certainly Wayman had his moments. Alvin yeah. Adams back in Phoenix, you know, had his moments as well. But uh, Trey Young looks like, you know, as long as he stays healthy, he is going to be the OU guy because he's, he's still on an upward trajectory and it doesn't look like it's slowing down anytime soon. Has he, has he even surprised you with how much he's done this early in his career? I, I would have to say yes. Now, the one thing when I saw Trey at OU, I thought the passing is going to translate to the next level. Um, and I thought the shooting was going to as well. I just I thought he was a guy that, you know, again, was going to be able to step out five feet behind the three-point line and, and catch defenses off guard. And, and so those things I knew were going to translate. Um, you know, obviously you're concerned about any, like, sub-five-foot point guard that comes in the league. How are they going to hold up physically night in, night out? Uh, he's defied, you know, he's beat those expectations by far. Um, and, you know, could he, you know, his first step, could he get by guys at the pro level? And that was a struggle early on, you know, especially in that first summer league. People were so quick to label him a bust, but you know, he's uh, he's he's made it right. And so, you know, he's uh, he's tinkered with the rules a little bit, you know. But even when they took away his favorite, you know, get to the free throw line maneuvers, he's adapted to that as well. So, um, yeah, you know, he's he's a guy that we knew he was pretty special at OU. But every one of those concerns that I had, you know, he's defied them all. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's pretty much the standout uh, Norman representative right now in the league. And uh, we'll, see if, uh, we'll see if they conjure up another one here in the upcoming years. That would be nice. Yes, absolutely. Yep. John, good stuff. We appreciate it. We'll talk again soon. Thank you. All right. Take care, guys. John Hamm joining us. By the way, this Saturday night, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you know, you're going to be thinking about the Super Bowl on Sunday. How about a super experience on the Saturday night? It is the $70,000 Keys to My Heart giveaway happening at Riverwind Casino. You have one more Thursday, this coming Thursday, to go out and play with your wild card. 
uh, for one entry for every five points in your wild card this coming Thursday. You're going to get 15 times the entries for the drawing in the 70K Keys to My Heart giveaway. Here's what they're doing on Saturday night. They're going to award a total of $10,000 in cash and bonus play during the preliminary drawings held every 30 minutes, starting at 7 o'clock and ending at 11.30 p.m. Then, just before midnight, five grand prize winners will be drawn out. Just before midnight, four winners are going to get a great deal, $2,500 in cash and $1,000 in bonus play. One of those... Grand prize winners is going to win a brand new 2022 Mercedes. 70K Keys to My Heart giveaway, the 2022 Mercedes Benz CLA 250 C Class. This is a heck of a deal. Get on out, play with your wild card if you can on Thursday, get extra entries, and head on out Saturday night. Have a great dinner. Uh, have a good time at Riverwind and hopefully hear your name called and you'll be driving away with that brand new Mercedes Benz. That's a heck of a deal from our friends at Riverwind Casino. All right, we'll break right here. And when we get back, we'll head back to the text line. And a uh, question about the Super Bowl. Maybe you guys can help us out. I'll tell you about it. Sooners in the Super Bowl. We'll get to that when we get back. Opinions. You've got them. We want to hear them. Sound off 24-7, 365 on the Air Comfort Solutions text line at 405-651-3439. Oh, yes, a classic. One of the greatest songs in rock and roll history right there. Little Layla. You know who Layla was, right? Yes, Patty Boyd. Yeah, here we go. See, I'm telling you, Parker, for a kid his age, he's a kid. He knows his rock and roll history. That's right. He was pining for George Harrison's wife, and eventually they wound up together. It didn't last long. No, it didn't last long. Together. But yes, so that is uh, the the album cover. The it's Derek and the Dominoes with Clapton, and you had uh, Dwayne Allman also. But and the piano exit, very nice. Used prominently in the movie Goodfellas. I always think of Goodfellas when I hear the piano part. But a great song. Okay, I'm thinking of this, Parker, and I need some help, and uh, maybe we'll jump into this. I was thinking about Sooners who have actually scored touchdowns or scored points in Super Bowls. Garrett Hartley. Garrett Hartley is on my list. He had four extra points and uh, the game-winning field goal in New Orleans win over the Colts. That was yes. the first one I thought of. I'm still... I'm still delving deeper into my brain. Damian Williams. Damian Williams. Touchdown run, touchdown catch. Oh, how could I forget? That was in Kansas City. He should have been the MVP. Over San Francisco. Yeah, Mahomes got MVP, but Damian Williams absolutely should have been been MVP. Uh, Kenny King, way before your time. Clarendon, Texas, former fullback for OU in the greatest Sooner backfield of all time with Kenny King, David Overstreet, and Billy Sims. Uh, Raiders, touchdown reception from Jim Plunkett in the Raiders. Super Bowl win over the Eagles. And then you had. I'm trying to think if there's anybody else. And I'm just trying to do this off the top of my head. Like, uh, Steve Sewell played in Super Bowls. I don't believe he ever scored a TD, though. They played the Broncos in back-to-back Super Bowls, Super Bowl 21 and 22. Uh, Joe Washington, my favorite Sooner player of all time, 82 Super Bowl, the Redskins. That was the strike-shortened season. The Redskins beat Miami, but Joe Washington didn't score in that game. Uh, Stanley Wilson for the Bengals. He didn't show up. Uh, Elvis Peacock was with the Rams and the greatest name in Sooner history and one of the great names in sports history, Elvis Peacock. Uh, Rams and the Bengals did not score. Keith Jackson, tight end, played in the uh, 
for the Packers, but didn't score a touchdown in their Super Bowl win over the Patriots. Um, Uwe Von Schaman played in uh, a Super Bowl, uh, two of them, as a matter of fact, I think, and he had some uh, extra points, and I think he had a field goal or two. So Uva got some points in the Super Bowl. Uh, I'm trying to think if there was anybody else. What about Lance Rinsel? I don't think Lance Rinsel ever went to the Super Bowl, and of course he got in trouble. Um, and I don't think Rinsel was with the Rams later in his career. I, and I, he was with the Cowboys in the late '60s, but I don't believe he ever played in the Super Bowl. So uh, was married to Joey Heatherton at one time back in the day, but I think that's that's all I can recall. That's all I can recall. And well, again, I, Mike. You have a uh, you you have quite a steel trap memory for this kind of thing. So I was writing these down to today. In my lifetime, it's about Garrett Hartley and Damian I, Williams. That's about it. I need to do a deeper dive and actually go on the internet and start googling it up and all that stuff. But uh, if anybody has any, am I leaving somebody out? Let us know on the Air Comfort Solutions text line. People, people are saying Troy Aikman. Well, Troy Aikman, yes, touchdown passes. And actually, you're right. I had Troy written down here, and I had five TD passes. He has five touchdown passes in the Super Bowl. Do you so count, you're right. you count yes. Troy Aikman as a Sooner? Uh, can you claim you, him? You can, I guess. He's more UCLA Bruin, but yeah, well, I, he was I, at OU, right? He was, but again, here's the thing. Are we going to raise hell one day when Kyler Murray lights it up in the Super Bowl and the Aggies are claiming him? Well, that's, that's true. You gotta have a you gotta have a point of delineation with these things. Yeah, and uh, Troy, man, I, I I still remember that game that changed everything for Troy Aikman in the course of Oklahoma football. Is when Jerome Brown broke his leg in that game. Troy ends up at UCLA playing for Terry Donahue, Donahue, and uh, then you had uh, I'm thinking of Lindsey Donahue, but uh, then you had of course uh, Jamil Holloway coming in and the Sooners winning the national championship. Uh, Benny on the Air Comfort Solutions sex line says Eddie Hinton with the Colts. Eddie Hinton, that's a good call, Benny. I'd have to Google it up. I believe you, Eddie Hinton. That would have been the would would that be the Colts win over Dallas? What was that like the fourth Super Bowl? I think yeah, was, that would have been what well it, Super Bowl five. Super Bowl five. Let me go ahead and uh, let me go. I'll I'll deep dive real quick. Yeah, that's a good call, Benny. Going back there, Eddie Hinton. Super Bowl five. Let me see, because they always have the individual stats on there. I can Google it real quick. Uh, was that uh, Jim O'Brien? With yes, the, uh, Jim O'Brien with the game-winning field goal. Hmm. Okay, I'll have to Google that. It's not. Why isn't it giving me? Because you got to put the stupid. There it is. Okay, there we go. I, I I don't like the Roman numerals at all. Individual leaders uh, for the Colts. Uh, Eddie Hinton did not have a touchdown, but he had two catches for 51 yards. Okay. Well, there's your answer. Yep. There you go. It's funny to look at the uh, the Cowboys' individual stats. The, uh, the leading receiver in the game, Dan Reeves. Dan Reeves. Dan Reeves. <laughs> Uh, Walt Garrison, former Oklahoma State Cowboy and snuff salesman, was also on the list. Bob Hayes, Mike Ditka. Um, and uh, for the Colts, they had John Mackey caught two passes, two Hall of Famer, and Eddie Hinton caught two passes. Norm Boulash was also 
on the list, the running back. Johnny Unitas and Craig Morton going at it in that Colts-Cowboys Super Bowl. That sounds for all the world like a box score from the 70s, let me tell you. It does, doesn't it? Norm Boulash, what a name. You ever had goulash before? I can't say that I have. The dish? What is what is goulash? Explain it to it me. It is like meats, kind of noodles, kind of small macaroni noodles, and a little tomato sauce and some other spices. And Sounds like Cajun pasta to me. And you know, the only thing is the, this, the name just sounds bad, though, doesn't it? Goul- yeah, goulash. Goulash. Like, uh, 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 not it super appetizing. It doesn't sound appetizing, but it's not bad. Okay, we got to get out of here. Benny, uh, good call, though, on Eddie Hinton, but he did not score in that Super Bowl. My man Benny out there dialing up some knowledge. All right, thank you to the Seth Wadley Auto Group in Paul's Valley. Appreciate them very much. Exit 72 for a great deal on a car or truck. We are going to get locked in with Parker and Tyler McComas coming up next. Everybody have a marvelous rest of your Monday. Back tomorrow at noon. That's why we're Steel Man and Thune at noon. We'll see you.